0: I've wanted to do a mead project that would let me experiment with different styles and ingredients and age those meads to see how they change over time. I've also wanted to do some sort of Zymergy-based project inspired by the Universal Monsters. So I'm taking those two goals and putting them together in this Universal Monster Mead project. And I'm starting that project today. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and welcome to this first installment of this sub about my Universal Monster-themed meads. If you heard this series before, you probably know that I've mostly focused on beer brewing. But in the past couple years, I've also been making some meads and ciders, or, or at least one cider that I've done so far. I've really enjoyed making meads. It's in the same realm of brewing beer in that you use water, yeast, and fermentable sugars like alcohol, but it's also very different in a lot of ways. The big difference is making the mead. The initial process from beginning to end is usually about an hour, as opposed to the four to eight hours it takes to brew a beer on brew day. But that's just the first day. Along the way, you can easily match that four to eight hours and even exceed that amount of time getting that mead to where you want it before you finally put it into the bottle and that's also something i've really enjoyed about this process it's something i've quickly found myself wanting to do more of it's not a replacement for any of my beer brewing but i'd like to do a little more than i am right now and start getting some experience on how different ingredients work together how Time plays a huge role in the overall taste of some meads and just experiment with different varietals of honey, different ingredients, learn the different styles. That's one thing I've learned pretty quick in studying meads is that there are a lot more styles than I realized. Not quite sure there's as many styles as there is beer, but it's not terribly far off. And this is something I'd like to explore in this hobby. Now, that's motivation number one for this subseries. Make some meads that I haven't made before and hold on to some of those bottles for at least a year to see how they age. Motivation number two is something I've had on my mind for a long time, almost since I started the hobby of homebrewing, if not the moment I actually started. There's two genres of movies I both grew up with and absolutely love to almost a fault. One is classic kaiju films, the Japanese monster movies, as they're commonly called. I don't know if I ever explained this on the show, but that's where the name Big Monster Brewing comes from. For years, while I was brewing, I'd play these giant monster movies on my iPad throughout the brew day. And a few months into this, the name Big Monster Brewing was born. The other genre of movies I adore, as you probably figured out from the introduction of this subseries, are the universal monster movies. I don't even know when I first saw one of these movies. I grew up in a time of UHF broadcast TV. So they've just always been part of my life somehow. I've continually watched them throughout my life. I've watched remakes, specials, parodies. In my younger adult life, I started reading the source material for many of them. I just love the world, the lore, and the characters of the Universal Monsters. At this point in my life, I am lucky enough to experience a resurgence of them at Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights for the past five years here in Orlando, Florida. And if the rumors are true, soon I'll be able to experience an entire area dedicated to them in the new Universal Studios epic theme park that's being built as I speak. With that, I've really wanted to find an idea that I liked enough to name a series of drinks that I've created after them. I tried to find something with beer for a really long time and nothing ever seemed to stick, which is weird because I'm really spoiled for choice when it comes to beer in both recognized styles and styles outside of those guidelines. There really seems to be no limit to any possibility, but I couldn't find a theme of beer for the Universal Monsters that grabbed me enough to follow through on. But then I started making mead. Now, I don't want to say that mead is an elevated drink by comparison, because I think that's a huge disservice to beer. Both are fine drinks that range in quality from both equally high examples to equally poor examples. I think more of what guided me to thinking about mead were two things. One, the age of the movies. Just taking the first talking Universal Monsters movie into consideration of Dracula, that came out in 1931. That's nearly a century year old at this point. One thing I can say about mead over beer is that it does generally age much better than a beer. A mead that took two months to get into a bottle generally improves over time and tastes far better a year later. A beer, again, generally does not. And are there exceptions to both rules? Absolutely. But the scale tips much more in favor of aging mead over a beer. The other thing that got me thinking of mead over beer for the universal monster theme was presentation. Light is the mortal enemy of beer. Any beer that's been brewed with hops is in danger of getting what's technically called light struck. Beer drinkers call it skunked. This is why you see an overwhelming majority of beers in brown bottles, if not more in cans at this point. If I were going to age a beer, I'd likely use a can. There's no light getting into a can if it's sealed properly and it's airtight. Now, don't get me wrong. Beer can labels can be awesome, and I can't even begin to guess how many beers I've bought based on the artwork of the label alone, but for the Universal Monsters, I wanted something a little more, especially since three of these meads so far have a distinct color inspiration. Luckily for meads, they're not as susceptible to light, again, generally, As long as you're not using any ingredients that are susceptible to light, might be a better way to say this. Hops can be used in meads. A lot of people have done that. I am not doing that in this project, at least uh, not planning to, unless I do a sudden change in recipe, which has already happened uh, along the way. But since there are no hops planned, I'm free to use clear glass bottles, which opens up a ton more of presentation options for these meads. And I have found some very nice looking 12 ounce slender clear bottles that are also able to use a cork, which is something I kind of wanted for this project as well. So these bottles will have a simple portrait-like image of the featured monster on the front and a simple grayscale label on the back of the name, style, ABV, and bottling date. Those front labels I already have designed and (laughs) it really makes me even more excited about this project. In fact, so let's talk about the monsters that are going to be featured. I've picked eight, and I'm pretty sure you've not only heard of all eight of these monsters, but there are eight universal monsters specifically you could probably name off the top of your head. They're Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, the Invisible Man, the Phantom of the Opera, and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. I want to make at least two of these meads a year for the next few years. If I made more, that'd be fine, but I don't see getting all eight of these done in a single year. And that's just due to the time it takes to get a finished mead into the bottle and to do all the other brewing. I'm going to continue to do throughout the year as well. Now, as far as the styles of mead that I'm going to make for each monster, I was planning to talk about that in this episode, But I've already changed my mind and done some significant tweaks already on the recipes that I'm not entirely sure what I've written down as of this recording is exactly going to be the best overall description for each said monster when I actually go to make that mead. So I'm just going to talk about them one by one as we get to those episodes. But we can talk about this mead, the one in this episode. It is the debut mead for this project And I am starting with Frankenstein's monster. I did say in this episode that Dracula was the first talking monster movie, but for me, Frankenstein's monster has always been the face of the universal monster franchise. I tend to find that when I search just the term universal monsters alone, when there's any kind of imagery, collective imagery for this, if there's just one monster, it's nine out of 10 times Frankenstein's monster. If there's two or three, Nine out of ten times, he's one of them. That at least has been my experience. But besides all that, I just want to start with Frankenstein's monster. So there we go. Which is kind of funny in the end because when I first decided to switch this to mead, the kind of the instinct idea to say the natural reaction, but I think the initial instinct idea to do a Frankenstein's monster mead was to use all the leftover honeys from the other seven monster meads, piece it together like the monster commonly is envisioned to be. But all in all, that idea was actually short-lived. And after a couple of iterations and just jotting down notes and ideas, I think I finally have what I want to make for this mead. And the idea of this mead kinda gets a little meta, I guess you'd say, if I'm using that word right. I've watched as many mead videos as I can find on YouTube and I own a few mead books and I subscribe to a couple of mead podcasts and all of those give me some idea to do something somewhere along the line. One video on the man-made mead channel featured a pear vanilla chai tea recipe. The word that stuck with me when I saw this video was the word tea specifically, especially in terms of looking for an idea for Frankenstein's monster themed mead. There's a pretty famous behind-the-scenes photo from one of the Universal Studios' Frankenstein movies. It's of Boris Korolov in full monster makeup having a cup of tea and a cigarette. I think I've read that this is from The Bride of Frankenstein, but that detail doesn't matter here. It's the tea that I'm focused on. For this mead, I'm making a British breakfast tea mead inspired by that behind-the-scenes photo. Now, before I get too far into this recipe, I did want to point out that I am going to do a tasting of this meat in this episode, but it won't be my final decision of if I'll ever make this again or if I'm going to change anything until I taste this meat at least a year from when I bottled it. Hopefully, I'm still brewing and still making meat a year from now, and this show is still going, so maybe I can revisit that and we'll see how this all ends up ultimately in the end. But what I can do right now is definitely talk about the planned recipe and how I'm going to make this mead. This batch of mead and all of them in this subseries are going to be one-gallon batches of mead. First, the honey, and that is the main component of a mead. I am going to use a blend of wildflower and clover honey together for this one. I'm pretty sure that the tea is going to be a strong enough flavor that anything other than just a general honey flavor is going to be masked by that tea. So I didn't really want to invest a specialty or rare varietal into this because i think it's going to be lost in the end so i'm going with just a flavor profile of honey and that comes out well using clover and wildflower in my experience now for the tea i want at least half of the water in this mead to be made from tea and i'm going to get a half gallon of water up to a boil and then steep about eight tea bags for a few minutes I'm not entirely sure about that number yet. I need to kind of see, smell, and taste that tea to see if those amounts and that balance and that ratio is what I want to go into this when the time comes. I'm not adding any wine, tannins, or oak. I think with a half gallon of black tea, I got to imagine this is going to be tannic enough. I am going to add some dried orange peel that hopefully will cut a little bit of that tannic character. It might not be an ingredient that stands out on its own, but it should in theory help tame that tannic and probably approaching, if not producing an astringent character with that for the yeast nutrients. I am going to front load that I'm going to add it all at once. And that is going to be four grams of Fermade O on the mead making day. And then, of course, there's the yeast, and I did spend some considerable time deciding out what yeast to use. For this mead, I am using Red Star Premier Rouge Yeast. It's a red wine yeast. And reading the details on this yeast, it said it's good for light-bodied, tannic red wines. This tea mead should be on the lighter-bodied side and definitely tannic, so I'm hoping this yeast will be a good match for that flavor profile. But there's only one way to find that out, and that's to get started making this first Universal Monsters themed mead. It is the start of my Universal Monster Mead project. I'm super excited about it. Starting it with the Frankenstein Monster Mead, the arguably the face of the Universal Monsters, so that's where I felt I needed to start. Probably already explained this in the intro. But a little bit of prep work before I actually get into the full making of it. And that started with making the dried orange peel. And by making it, I mean, I, I zested some orange zest off of navel orange. a uh, Just a typical Florida, I think it's a Florida orange. It could be a California orange. One from the local grocery store. Nothing special. And I dried, put that on a piece of parchment paper on a cookie sheet and put that in a oven 350 degree oven with the door cracked open just like the first uh if, every oven i've owned does this is so if yours doesn't maybe you don't follow but it kind of has like these catch points as you pull it down left it on the first catch point so that I, not to seal it completely up checked it about every 30 seconds when it started to get dry pulled it out because i did not want to bake it baked orange peel is a completely different taste and I found that out the hard way a long, long time ago. So right when it was just about drying or dried on the outside, took it out, got it ready. got probably twice as much as I need, which is what I usually do in case some does get a little scorched, and have that set aside. And now I've got one more, well, I say one more thing, but it's a multi-step thing. So we'll talk about that in the next recording to prepare to make this mead. So my next step prep is going to be to pre-make the tea which i'd have to do anyway but i'm going to my original plan was to take a half gallon of water heat it up and then steep all eight tea bags but i want to do this sort of kind of properly and i looked on the website for the tea uh, manufacturer producer whatever of, of what their their um Uh, brewing process that's funny brewing in mead brewing processes for the tea and they suggest six ounces of water to a boil and then steep for three to five minutes for this particular tea so i'm i would have to do that eight times which i'm not adverse to doing but i do have a two and a half or a over two um cup measuring cup so I can do 12 ounces of that in two tea bags and still steep for, I'm going to cut it down the middle. Like I do everything on a test for four minutes and do that four times. That won't take quite as long as that four times four, 16 minutes plus heating up. That's going to take me probably about a half hour of time. A lot of it, um, as like unattended work. So that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to put that into a bigger measuring cup that I have. I do have like about a, a half gallon measuring cup. I'm going to pour that into there. Kind of let it Cool in air quotes let it cool down a little bit because i'm still going to add water in fact thinking of that i'm going to put this gallon of spring water in my refrigerator so it's colder than room temperature so that'll help taper off the the temperature when i mix these all together but it won't be boiling hot it'll be hot to the touch i might even take a temperature measurement just to be sure it's not too terribly hot but i can't do that without getting started. And this is kind of where I'm probably (laughs) going to, if I really wanted to make a proper tea, I probably wouldn't put 12 ounces of water into the microwave, but I am. I'd probably actually properly raise the temperature over a heat source, but okay. So I'm doing a, a big monster interpretation of properly brewing this tea, I guess. The tea is all brewed. That's ready to go. It's actually cooling down right now as we speak. And in the end, I did 10 tea bags worth. The plan was originally for 8, but when I started to look at the numbers that I was using with the whole 6 ounces per tea bag, I realized 10 would give me 60 ounces and a half gallon is 64 ounces and the plan was to the original plan was to do a half gallon of water and 8 tea bags. So I figured instead of diluting the 48 ounces I was ending up with, I'll get closer to a half gallon. I did toy with the idea of doing one more six ounce cup and just using four ounces of that, but I figured I'd just stop at sixty. Nice round number, nice number to start with, see what goes. And I I'm thinking, I don't know yet. This is all new. This 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 particular me is all new to me. I'm thinking that if I'm not getting the tea taste after the fermentation, I can add it easier than I could take it out. That's always kind of the rule of thumb with Brewing, for sure. You can always add more of something you're looking for in, but once you've past the point of too much, you're kind of stuck. So using that as part of my decision-making as well. I never did talk about the tea. It's Twinnings of London English Breakfast Tea. Pure black tea. Figured that was a nice way to start. And, of course, looking at the box, it's from Twinnings of North America. It's not... This is not a direct British product. I don't even know if Twinnings is an actual British company. I have no idea. Oh, actually, it's... Well, it says it is, but I who knows? Um, the reason I picked this, it just sounded like a good place to start. Earl Grey would have been a choice, but I remember having Earl Grey once and not liking it. And I figured why make a mead, which is going to be half of the liquid in it is going to be tea. Why use a tea? I don't like. So I'm using black tea. I've actually, it smells fantastic. I haven't tasted it yet. I might take a little sample of it just to kind of get an idea of it, but I do love the smell of this. So this is going to be fun. I'm just waiting now. It's a little longer for us to cool. I don't think I'm going to have to force chill it. And in fact, actually, maybe I'll start setting up for... I haven't sanitized the carboy yet, the fermenter that this is going in. So maybe I'll start that and get the honey in. By the time I'm at that point, might be cool enough to start mixing everything together. Everything is sanitized. so I'm going to start making the mead now. I'm going to start with the honey. And I said it was going to be a blend of wild... and clover and that blend is going to be two pounds of wildflower and pound and a half of clover or maybe a little more to get it up to the target gravity i want that's because i have this two pound bottle of wildflower that's been excuse me hanging around since i started making mead that no real plans for so i figured go ahead and use it before it well it doesn't expire but crystallizes is kind of my main concern because i have had crystallized honey that is a pain to work with. So if I I ever need more wildflower, it's easy to get. So that's what I'm gonna start with. I'm gonna do the two pounds and I'm gonna come back and weigh out that pound and a half of the clover honey. (music) I put in the two pounds of honey or at least as much of it come out. And I did something that I thought was kind of clever and I'm recording it because it's worth mentioning to anyone else that might do this recipe or do something with warm liquids involved. Instead of just putting in the cold or room temperature water that I put in to the empty bottle and shake around like this to loosen everything up and dump back in, I figured, ooh, I'll put some of the tea in, because that's warm, and it took like five shakes for this to clear completely up and put the honey inside that tea solution. So I want to stop and record that, not only to remind myself, but to share it with anyone else that ever has the situation that they're able to do that, because man, that just saved me a lot of uh, physical labor. I'm now putting in the clover honey and I'm squeezing it out of the bottle, which kind of makes you feel like that might've been a mistake. It's a two pound bottle. and I figured I'll just squeeze a pound and a half in instead of making a big mess by taking the cap off and having to clean it and put it back on. But uh, this is taking a little longer than I thought to squeeze it in, stop, squeeze some more. So I'm at, well, I'm at eight ounce, so I got a pound to go. That only took the better part of a minute not quite a minute so it could be worse but when this gets to a pound and a half i'm going to stop squeezing and then i'm going to start adding tea so i'll come back when i'm talking about that all the honey's in and i'm going to add the tea and i'm feeling the side of this container it's 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 warm but it's not super hot so i'm not worried about measuring the temperature i don't think it's going to What's the word? I think it's going to kill the yeast off, especially once I add some water to it. So uh, the unfortunate part here is, even though this is a cool half-gallon measuring cup, it sucks to pour from. It's it's the worst. It just spills everything. So what I'm doing is taking that two-cup measuring cup that I use to brew the tea, and I'm dipping in there for the first few batches and then in the end, I'll probably have to somehow try to pour. Once it gets lower, it's easier to pour, but it's still kind of a mess. So I'm gonna pour into the measuring cup and then the measuring cup into the fermenter over the sink. So this is gonna be a bit of a task and I'll come back and talk about how it went when I'm done. I've got that 60 ounces, i say half gallon, but it's as we know now, 60 ounces of tea in, and I'm stirring everything together, and I'm actually kind of expecting this to go a little quicker than normal because of the warmth of the tea, but we will see. Right now, it's feeling the, I'm feeling the normal resistance of the of the honey on the bottom. When I was done, uh, as far as pouring went, it, 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 like I said, I did almost everything I said, except I did not pour the last bit of it from the half gallon measuring cup into the two and then back in. That last bit, it seemed like I could kind of quick pour it over the top of this big wide mouth fermenter and be okay. And that's exactly what happened. So there was a little bit, there was about, I don't know, an ounce maybe or so, a half ounce, just kind of lingering around, pulling at the bottom. So I tasted it and it is, it's, it's tea. It is black tea. There's nothing fancy about it. No flavorings, no sweetness. The honey's gonna provide sweetness that's 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 a given but uh, it, it it smells much more pleasant than it tasted I guess because uh I don't know why because I was gonna give a reason but it, it's i I think because I mainly drink different flavored teas now, peppermint tea specifically, so I guess that kind of straight black tea uh threw me for a little bit of a loop, but I think with the honey it's gonna taste really good I'm gonna pull off a sample with a a pipette and once it's all said and done here i think that's gonna taste really good and then hopefully everything ferments well together we'll see i did toy with the idea uh, of putting lactose sugar in here to kind of make a coffee and cream mix but i haven't done that yet i'm not going to do it in this i'm not going to put it lactose in this initial mead making because lactose is an unfermentable sugar and if i think it needs it i can add that in the end I would probably dissolve some in a little bit of hot water, enough to make a, it, it, uh, what's the, how's it say, pliable, pourable, but not chunky, and then add a little bit at a time if I get to that. I haven't decided yet, but right now I'm not going to. I'm gonna put what I have planned together honey, tea, water, a little bit of orange zest, yeast, and yeast nutrients, and then see what happens when that's all done doing its thing. added some water to this must now and brought it up to a little more than a gallon Uh, i think i've described these before there's like this barrel pattern on these things and where i fill it is like the top of the pattern on on the uh, on the fermenter after that pattern stops it kind of starts to taper in a little bit about an inch or so until it gets to the top of the fermenter that's where i start toying with getting my gravity right and speaking of that i'm at 1090 i want to be at 1100 so I'm gonna add some more honey to get up there. I'm not gonna put it on the scale because it's so close. I think I can do. Um, I think I can get it within range, within just a couple of squeezes of honey. And then if I go over, I can taper it with water because I still have the room. So hopefully I don't get into too. too I, I'm not gonna get myself into a balancing match of that. If I end up after two two additions of honey and water, uh, two changes, let's say, I'm just probably gonna go with whatever the number is. So I'm not going to mess with it too much. So maybe two additions of honey, addition of honey and water. We'll see. I won't know until I try, which I kind of need two hands to do. So I'm going to try that now and then tell you where I land. I just did two honey adjustments and I got it to about 1097. It's actually kind of floating between 96 and 97. We'll call it 97 for fun. And I I figured that's, you know what? That's close, close enough. It's nowhere near over full, but I don't want to start getting that balancing act where now I'm at, what, 1101 and all that. And so, what, 1097? I'll take it. I added the orange zest that I prepared earlier, about half of it. Usually, I think I mentioned I make about twice as much as I need in case it overcooks. And I'm about to weigh out the ferment get that in some warm water to break up because it's just a, always a clumpy mess. And then I'm gonna pitch the yeast and I'll talk about that probably in the next clip. All right, I weighed out the four grams of fermento, and I'm mixing up in some water. I, I didn't really measure out the water. I just wanted to get it warm because it is such a pain in the butt to mix. It works great. It's a pain in the butt. I think I got it. I've been stirring it with a fork because a spoon gets you nowhere. And uh, I used to dump it right in the fermenter, and that was, that was always stupid because you always get giant clumps of it. Same with wine tannins, too, to be fair. It's not just fermento. Wine tannins, the powder, does the same thing. All right, that's good. That's actually pretty, that's one of the better ones I've done. So, all right, I'm dumping that in there. And that extra amount of liquid will probably technically change the gravity, but I don't even know that I could measure that little bit. Um, what does they say? Oh, the yeast. The yeast. I'm using a yeast I've not used before. I'm using Red Star's Premier Rouge yeast because I read what I could about different wine yeasts. And not everyone has as much information as others, but Red Star had a pretty good chart. And one thing that stood out on the chart is that it's really good for tannic red wines. This isn't a red wine, but it's certainly tannic. I mean, it's a gallon of black tea. That's tannic. So that's why I decided to give this a shot. So I got a packet of it. Uh, what is it? Five grams, which I think is what most of the Lovlin stuff is. I happen to have some here. Yep, yep. So I'll put most of it in probably, if not all of it, just might put all of it in just to, cause I don't think I'm gonna use it for anything else in the future. So I'm gonna go ahead, put that in, stir it up a little bit, seal it, and then uh, kind of do a, a little bit of a, what's a wrap up and what's next to the make mead making day. All right, everything is done with the mead making side and it's, it's all sealed up, airlocks on yeast is pitched and now the literally the next thing we do is wait we just wait for quite a while it's going to be at least two weeks until this thing looks like it's even slowing down fermenting probably another week maybe two after that where it appears to be done and the measurements have leveled out then i still wait another week or two until i start really messing with it and this is going to be interesting to balance i don't know we're going to need in anything i I think the only thing i can say we're not going to need is tannins of any kind but i could be wrong we shall see maybe I can imagine maybe some maybe a little bit of acid brightness there is the orange peel in there but maybe we'll need a little more Uh, i might toy with that lactose and if this dries out we're definitely going to need to back sweeten it to some degree i don't know if i want this to be a sweet me but i don't want it to be i definitely don't want to be dry with that tannic liquid base i think i don't know that's what's going to be fun about this, but literally nothing to do for a long time until I figure that out. So in the meantime, I guess I'll go brew some more beers. Okay, it's still the day I made the mead. In fact, still the I don't mean, call it the period, the time period I made the mead because I'm just cleaning up now, and I turned, I happened to look over at it, and the airlock bubbled, and it's about to again. I know. These yeast wines or yeast wine yeast, sorry, take off faster than what I'm used to with beer yeast, especially when the product is warm. And this is, it's all right, it's maybe a slightly above room temperature. It's, it's not hot. Uh, the w- additional water I put in cooled everything down pretty significantly. So it, it's at best maybe it, it's, I don't even think it's 80 degrees, it's 75 in here or 70, 74, 75 so if this is 80 it would be surprised it's maybe 78 somewhere around there but anyway my point is it's not like it's super hot <laughs> it's so it's uh, this is just i think it was, my point is this is the fastest i've ever seen one of these take off and i'm hoping even with that little bit of temperature i'm hoping i'm not having that yeast produce any kind of weird off flavors i wouldn't think so at that temperature difference in this early on and with that much nutrients for it to start with but we'll see but that's pretty remarkable i'm used to this stuff starting within anywhere between 30 minutes and an hour showing some signs of activity but this is more than some signs this is you could quantify this as activity crazy absolutely crazy it's a few hours later from my last recording and to kind of catch up that we i saw the fermentation starting with the airlock i've since covered up i usually wrap a towel around these just there's really no direct sunlight on it anywhere that can i can really get to where i keep these meads. but better safe than sorry i i mentioned that because i i kind of lifted the cloth a little bit to look at it and this has the thickest krausen i've ever seen for any of my meads so much so that i'm Kind of worried about it seeping into the airlock. It's just gonna have to be one of those wait and seeds. And if it happens, I'll just, I'll clean it up. If it's really bad, I'll do a bluff tube, which I've never had to do for a mead before. And I'm just, I don't know. It's, if it, this is the first time I'm using this yeast. So I don't know if that's how the yeast typically behaves. It's also the first time I put in a half gallon of tea. So I don't know if there's something to the, you know, the chemical makeup that makes tea tea. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what it is. I don't know if it's a, I, usually, Krausen comes from a lot of protein, I believe. I could, I, I might, might not, I'm probably not even right about it. whatever. Well, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever helps Krausen get thick and not even fluffy. It's actually kind of dense. It's in this mead, which is strange because I've never seen it quite like this before. So, just gonna have to keep an eye on that airlock as much as I can tonight before I go to bed, and then check it first thing in the morning. <laughs> It is the next morning-ish. It's a few hours into the morning. It's actually, what time is it? Oh, it's approaching lunch. Not quite, not 11 yet, but getting there. And I am I, I looking at the and It's still really big, but it's no bigger than what when when it was when I last checked it. So I think this is kind of high Krausen. I, I, this is where it's going to stay. And it's still about, well, it hasn't reached the... It's not reaching the side of the lid that screws down, and the lid's about an inch thick. So I guess there's about an inch of headroom there. So really, no danger of getting an airlock at this point, I don't think. Airlock is going like crazy. It's nonstop. It looks like, uh, like, it looks like there's a small bit of compressed air at the end of the airlock, just blowing constantly, blowing bubbles through. So this is definitely a healthy fermentation. And I'm gonna cover this back up and just let it do its thing. There's nothing. More I can do for quite a while than just stare at it, which I'll do a lot of over the next couple of weeks. But as far as helping it go, I front-loaded it with uh, yeast nutrients. I'm not doing a staggered nutrient because I kind of... I want it to stall out a little bit, I hope. It may go completely dry, but if it gives me a few extra uh, gravity points towards the sweet side, that'll, I think, help the flavor. That's my intention. doesn't always work out. Sometimes it still goes dry by front-loading yeast nutrients, but... Uh, sometimes it does help first time i'm making this recipe we'll see what happens so now 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 is a waiting game there's really not much going to talk about until this slows down and it ain't gonna slow down today i can tell you that right now it's 10 days since i made this mead and started the fermentation and the fermentation is still going really strong the airlock is bubbling like most of my meads would after four or five days so twice the time still bubbling really heavy and this what i was referring to as the Krausen before this really this thick layer of bubbles and foam on top i'm now i just gonna i think might be just some kind of foam because it's uh has not really changed much it could still technically be a Krausen, I guess. It's uh, I'm not sure. the 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 two factors I'm not sure about is I'm, I have no idea what the chemical uh, makeup of is uh, of, of tea. I don't know if it's a lot of proteins or a lot of something that would get foamy. Foamy, I guess. <laughs> I'm not even sure how to explain it. I'm not sure what in tea might cause this or might not cause this. Like so, so, there's that mysterious factor. There's also the First time i'm using this yeast strain and i'm leaning more towards the tea because yeast will create krausen almost all the time in fact if not well yeah, there's some exceptions there's, to, to some extent no, it'll, it'll create a krausen let's just say that for a blanket term i've never seen one do one like that looks like this and two has held like this 10 days so that's why i'm thinking it's probably more the tea or it could be a combination of the both Either way, this thing's still going, so it's still apparently healthy. I have not added any yeast nutrients along the way. I did all that on a front load, and it's just still going strong, so I'm just going to have to keep waiting. It's a little over one month later. In fact, if you want to get exact, it's one month and three days later, and I just racked the Frankenstein's Monster Black Tea Mead into a one-gallon jug to start the second phase, I guess you'd say. I don't know if this is the—not quite the finishing phase. I added the sulfates. I added the sulfates first to the one-gallon jug that I sterilized. I've never done that before, but since I always have to—or I've been lately, I should say. I've been dissolving them in some warm water and kind of— Um, almost overflowing that headspace up to where the stopper goes in. I thought, oh, why don't I put the liquid in first and rack on top of it? I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, so we're going to find out. Although, (laughs) I took some measurements, and I'm not sure even if the yeast don't get uh, dormant or stop reproducing from the addition of the sulfates, I'm not sure there's any sugar left in there for it to ferment because it is at 1, or no, not even, it's at 0999 as far as the reading, so it's below 1, so it's a lot of alcohol. 12.96% is what the calculation is. Now, I do want I do want those yeast to become dormant so I can back-sweeten it, because I did taste it. It actually tastes pretty good, um, as is, but not my taste. It's very dry, as you can tell, at a point nine 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 through gravity. That's dry. That's bone dry and very tannic. It's almost red wine-like, and it's tea, so, I mean, of course it's going to be tannic. And along with that, I used a red wine yeast, which is specifically noted to express tannins and tannic flavors in wine. So it's it's not black tea per se. In fact, I, I even knowing it's in there, I don't quite taste that exactly yet, but it's still young and it's very fusel. I mean, it's the alcohol is strong and that should mellow out in time. And I'm going to back sweeten a little bit, but I'm not going to back sweeten it to my particular sweet taste I'd probably bump it up another 20 gravity points to get it to 10.020 but I don't think I want this that sweet I think I want it semi-sweet so I'm going to try my first attempt I'm going to try to get it to about 2.005 taste it and I don't want to go past 2.010 even if it isn't quite as sweet as I think because I think this is and with it well that's already with all, all meads but I think even more so with this mead Age. This this is not going to be its full. I don't know what uh, expression of flavors between the tea, the tannins, and the honey until much later than bottling. Much much later than bottling. So even if I think it's a little short on the sweetness, I'm going to kind of kind of even draw back from that, so that when the honey starts coming out, when everything settles and ages, it'll taste uh, a little more balanced than it does in the bottle. So. Um, Probably not going to do that for a week, maybe even two. Right now I'm just going to let those sulfates hopefully do their work on whatever yeast is left in there before I even think about back-sweetening. I just back-sweetened the Frankenstein's Monster Mead, the Black Tea Mead. Didn't really do it in any real scientific way at all. I just added honey to taste because... I wanted, my goal here, usually I like a very sweet mead, most of my meads are, are sweet, that's usually my target flavor profile. In this case, I wanted the honey to be present, but I still wanted it to be that tannic tea forwardness. So I just kept putting in wildflower honey, like if it was a squeeze bottle, I'd say like two squeezes at a time worth, or maybe a squeeze that was a second, second and a half long, if even that. And ended up putting three additions in to the right where I finally could taste the honey. Like barely, it was there, but still very, very tannic forward. And it's still very strong. It's not quite fusel as fusel as it was when I last tasted it. But it's quite strong. But there is a noticeable difference between the last time I tasted it and now in that strength. So I think that's going to mellow out. And then once that kind of subsides, that tea... And the honey will be the predominant flavors, mainly the tea. And I think using that red wine yeast really helped bring out that tannic quality. I think if I were to do this again, I might actually want to put more direct tea into it. I thought I put a lot in, but maybe could use more. But I think it got a nice boost with that red wine yeast. So now it's sitting. uh, It was pretty clear, of course, until I stirred it up with honey. So it got a little, little haze to it not much it probably is going to clear well enough on its own but I might put some super clear in just to be safe because I really want these bottles to be clear and then I got to decide on what the bottle I know I'm going to do a handful of large bottles well they're actually 12 ounce bottles but they look bigger than that they're wine bottle shaped ish they're actually somewhat unique between that and a beer bottle and they're clear they're nice presentation bottles i want to do some of those because i want at least two to hold on to over the next two years and i don't want to give a couple away at least but i want to see how many that leaves me over for possible competition or just for smaller bottles so i'm going to do some math on that i think i'm going to have a good 120 ounces worth of bottable bottable i guess it's i guess it's the word bottable product in the end but i um, not quite there yet. Gonna let it sit as it is now for a week, put the super clear in, in another week let that, or f- let that sit for another week and then bottle. And then I'll probably be at the, that'll give me another half month. The, the heat of that, that alcohol might go down even enough to kind of give it an initial review, pull off a little bit of a taster for a picture and uh, for a review on the mic, but really won't be, fully sampled until a year after that cork goes in that bottle that's my plan that was the plan from the beginning of this and then on to the next universal monster mead which i'm still got a <laughs> still debating between three but uh we'll cross that bridge when we come to it so that's where we're at now um it's done as far as flavors it's it's where i think i want it just going to give it a little time till we get to bottling and i'll probably be back a little with a little bit of uh detail on how that goes when i get to that in a couple weeks I've just find the Frankenstein's monster English breakfast tea mead, and I use super clear. It's a double process. You put in one of the uh, agents first, let it sit for an hour, or it says an hour to 24 hours. I usually do a couple hours. I'll do it at lunch and I do it after work, so it's probably about three four hours. But I put in the second one. I stirred it very very gently. Capped off the top with a sprayed in a little CO2, put the airlock back on, and it usually works in 24 hours. It's really quick, but I'm really not going to have time to bottle, like to take the entire time to wash the bottles, sanitize them, set them up, bottle them, cork them, and cap them until a week from now. So it should be really clear. It should live up to his name. It should be super clear. Hoping I didn't jinx myself saying that, but it should be. And as far as bottling goes, that's another thing I figured out. I know I want to gift two of these bottles with labels and corks and the wrapper at the top to at least two other people. And I want two of those for myself. So I have these skinny, w- almost wine-looking, they're, they're, they're 30, 300, was it 355 milliliters, which is exactly 12 ounces. I don't know why it's <laughs> said millimeters, but they look far more than 12 ounces. It looks like a big bottle of wine, but it's just, it's a 12-ounce bottle. It's clear. It's really. It's not quite shaped like a wine bottle. It's more a little more unique than that. It's like a. I don't know what you call. I don't even know what to compare it to. Oh, I'll use a picture in the thumbnail. You'll have already seen it. And I'm going to do four of those. And that leaves me if I have 120 ounces of bottleable mead, that should leave me with 12 six-ounce bottles, which I can use for competition or drinking or whatever, how it ever ends up. That number might be a little lower depending on how much loss there is from everything dropping out from the super clear and loss in the tubing and priming the pump. But it's, it's I know it's gonna be at least 10, I would think, unless something I mess something up, which is possible. But we'll say four of the big bottles, 10 of the little bottles, maybe a couple bonus, we'll find out. I'm not gonna record as a bottle because that process already takes three hands. And obviously I won't have a, I won't, I'm already missing a hand. I can't hold a recorder and do this. So I'll talk about it after the fact probably. And yeah, that's it. I'm just uh, waiting for the weekend now so I can get that part done. All right. We are at the end of the entire mead making process for this. And we've just started aging. Those bottles are in the darkest Part of the highest shelf of my closet in the studio, in the room I'm in now, I'm gonna sit there for a year. The four bottles I made for the aging, and now I had in the end, but I have ten-ish bottles. I'm saying ish because that last bottle, and there were six ounce bottles. That last bottle didn't quite get filled. I'm gonna taste that six ounce bottle, probably about halfway point, and see if any of those other nine are worth entering into competition. I do have actually a sizable glass here and it's the same glass. that's in the picture of the thumbnail of this. So I did get a little bit of, of the sample before I did any of that bottling. So I could taste it now to kind of give you an idea of what it is and where I think it's going to go. But a year's a long time. Uh, first two things I'm going to say. Clarity is really good in this. Super clear always does a fantastic job. So I'm really happy with the clarity and the bottles are just as clear in a year, maybe there might be a little bit of sediment of some sort, but there's not much left in this at all to settle out. I what I do, I'm not sure if I describe this in the process, but I rack from from the last fermentation vessel into a sterilized sanitized pitcher to to make sure I can freely bottle. With no true or lease, it's lease, not true. True is <laughs> here, no lease on the bottom. When I'm siphoning, and, and there was none to be seen. Once all was said and done, I think this is going to be super clear. Although <laughs> that wasn't a pun, not intended. I think it's going to be very clear up a year from now as well. Color, I like the color a lot. I kind of expected more of the the to to take the take over the color a little more. I expected to be a little darker. I had I made a boche that i didn't record which is a caramelized honey which is actually darker than this and i expected this tea one to be at least that dark but it's lighter than that and i don't think the yeast scrubbed out the color i don't think that's it at all i think it's just the the dilution of the honey some water and tea I just think it thinned out the color a little bit aroma on this right now little bit of just straight honey, nothing, like I said, no no floral blossom or anything like that aromatics, just honey. And I do get a little bit of the tea, just a little. Not as, not as much as I was hoping, but that might change as this ages. Now, taste-wise, I'm going to taste it, although I have tasted it along the way, but I'll give it a taste now. It's been about two weeks since I've had a real tasting that I even made a note of, so let's take a little taste now. So I took a fairly short sip, still hot. I knew it was going to be hot, but actually surprisingly not as hot as it was two weeks ago. So it's already starting to settle down a little bit. It's still hot though. I mean, I want this to calm down. Um, it's not quite fusel. The fuselness has gone away, but the alcohol is still quite, quite warm. Uh, interestingly, I'm going to take a bigger sip before I go with the flavors and see if it, see if it hap- um, happens again now that my palate's been kind of coated once before I say anything. Cause if it happens again, this is kind of interesting. Okay. And it did happen again. So first thing I taste is a slight bit of honey, not very strong. Um, we'll talk about the sweetness over here quick. This is going to be weird to enter into a competition because it's not dry and it's not quite semi-sweet. It almost feels like if I entered it as dry, they'd say it's too sweet. And if I entered it as semi-sweet, it'd say it's too dry. It's kind of stuck in the middle. But saying, having said that, regardless of an entry issue or a or, uh, descriptor issue, it's actually, I don't like meads are on the drier side, but this is not, <laughs> I don't dislike this at all. First taste I get, like I said, is is honey. Again, nothing nothing real specific, and no no um, oh no, varietal of honey. It's a wildflower honey. You think I might even get some kind of floral out of it, but I'm not. It's just honey. It's a little sweet, but not much. And I get the alcohol taste, of course. But what was really interesting and why I wanted to take a second sip, I'm going to take one more sip, see if I can get some better descriptors on that. Okay, there's something I forgot to mention um, that's worth mentioning, but let, let's go <laughs> – I'm all over the place here. The aftertaste, not the finish, and the difference is when you're swallowing as finish, aftertaste is post-swallow. The aftertaste is tea. It is straight up no sugar, no cream, no nothing tea. Like my father – and my wife as well, actually, at this point, drink unsweetened tea at restaurants, like that instead of soda. It is that taste. It's exactly that taste, and nothing else with it. That's kind of neat. I almost wish there was a little stronger tea in the over the palate, but the fact that the tea is recognizable on its own is kind of cool, and that's something that might change over the year. The other thing that I didn't mention is that it is very tannic without being astringent. I think if uh, the best choice I made along this recipe was using a red wine yeast. I think that was, if I use the usual champagne yeast, which really doesn't add a whole lot of character, except maybe a little fruitiness, maybe a little um, sweetness along or perceived sweetness of fruitiness, the red wine yeast, I think was absolutely a perfect choice for this. And if I were to do this again, I see no reason to change that. Hard to say what I would do different because I want to taste this in a year. Immediate thought: Immediate thoughts are ramp up the tea. And that's really about it. Um, I wouldn't change the honey. I think the honey is the right one for this. And I don't think I, the, the balance that I struck between that dry and semi-sweet is surprisingly pleasant for me. And I think that has to do with the fact that the tea adds so much more character to it than it would. And the tannins and the yeast than it would if it we're just a flat out dried mead if I just use water, honey, yeast and just let it ferment down to nothing. As far as gravity points, sorry, <laughs> we it would still be there. The the liquid. Um, yeah, I I'm so far happy. I think it's a fairly good start. I'm really looking forward to tasting this in a year. I'll probably taste it in about six months. That should be that'll be when I start considering what I'm going to enter next competition season so we'll see if it's a contender because i do have nine other bottles that i don't have plans for yet other than possibly just might slap on smaller labels that are on the bigger bottles and, and give those out too we'll see but for now um good start to this project and i am already ready more than ready to do my next one i just have to decide it's going to be one of two monsters and don't really want to say yet until I know what, but I can tell you one is my absolute favorite and the other one is actually kind of on the lower end of my favorite scale. But I'm really anxious to make both meads. And I think it's really going to come down to when it comes, I have this, the ingredients for both of them. One is, oh, I don't want to say simpler, less involved on the initial mean making day than the other so it's all going to come down to what day i decide to make this and how much time i have i think that's the only qualifier we'll find out more about that on the next episode of this particular series within the series i hope to come back with some more brewing episodes soon we got heavy into competition season and It was nose to the grindstone. Couldn't pick up, stop to pick up the recorder. Had to get those beers made because our club is so close to winning the state championship. And I am currently fourth in the state. So I am trying to get in that top three and trying to get the club to win. So I had to kind of set aside the recorder for a little bit. But we're winding down. I'll be able to pick it up again. And with all that, I will say thank you for everyone that came back to listen to this I know by the amount of recordings I have, it's going to be a long one, but I hope it's worth it. I hope it's informative, and I hope along the way it's been fun. And I hope to talk to you again about this mead in a year when we see what happened to it. or <laughs> this 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 How does it, it how about age is a better way to say it, I think. I'm um, looking forward to that as well. So, again, thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.